What does the Bible really say about fear? Spoken by Dr. Rob Reamer. What does the Bible say about fear, which seems like an appropriate assignment uh, in this day and age? One, because we're celebrating the anniversary of 9-11, which is a memory that we all, most of us at least, live through and have specific, very specific, like you know where you were and what happened. And, you know, it's one of those times in life where you remember exactly where you were. And then, of course, we just went through COVID and the pandemic and fear in both of those instances, both during 9-11 and during COVID, has really been sparked inside a lot of us and as a culture. So let me talk to you a little bit about what the Bible says about fear. Let me give you the big picture, and then I'll walk you through two real big ideas, okay? Here's the big picture. Are you ready? This is what the Bible says about fear. Don't be afraid. <laughs> that literally is what the Bible says. As a matter of fact... It is the single most common statement in scripture. God says, do not be afraid more than he says anything else in the Bible. That's how important this is. Now listen, anytime you are wrestling with a commandment like that, like do not be afraid, I am monkeying with my mic, hang on one second, there we go. Anytime you see a statement like that, that is repeated over and over and over throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, generation after generation after generation, you must ask the question, why does God keep saying this to his people throughout all generations? And I think the answer is, first, because people mess up a lot when they're afraid. You know, there's a sense in which when you're afraid, you often get out of alignment with God. You choose to trust yourself, rely on yourself, control events, and you step out of obedience and deep dependence and trust with God. And so this is why God keeps coming back to it. Second, I think God says it so much because fear is such a primary emotion. Every single one of us is impacted by this. By the way, if you are sitting here today and you think to yourself, I'm not afraid. I'm just going to tell you you're lying to yourself. Because God wouldn't have said it as much as he said it if it wasn't a big deal for the human heart. And so I want you to open your mind to this concept because I might be able to help you understand how fear has impacted you. Okay? Let me give you a big uh, picture impact of fear for a second. Uh, just one Reminder from the Old Testament. Think with me about the people of Israel going into the promised land. You remember the story, right? So God chooses the leader, Moses. Moses leads the people out of the land of slavery in Egypt into the brink of the promised land. They get to the brink of the promised land. Moses sends 12 spies into the land. And when he sends the 12 spies into the land, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, come back and they're like, oh my gosh, the fruit is amazing. We need to go in. And 10 of the spies come back and they go, yeah, the fruit is amazing but there are giants in the land and they're going to destroy us. They're going to crush us like grasshoppers. We can't go in. And the people panic and they don't go into the land. And that entire generation wanders around in the wilderness for 40 years and God bypasses a generation and the next generation ends up getting the land. Now, don't miss this point. You ready? Here it is. Please hear me. An entire generation of people missed out on their prophetic destiny because of fear. That's the power of fear. Listen, please hear me for a second. This was the promised land. 
This wasn't the suggested land. God going, you know, I'm thinking I might give my people a land someday. As a matter of fact, this is called their inheritance. They were robbed of their inheritance by their fear. I'm just going to pause there and say, some of you right now are being robbed of your inheritance and your prophetic destiny and calling because of fear. And if you don't correct it, you're going to end up off course. Some of your families are being robbed of their prophetic destiny because of fear. This is why we have to go after this issue. Given that, what I want to spend a little bit of time with is, uh, let me say one last thing, and then I'm going to answer the question, how do you overcome fear? Because that's what I want to spend most of the time with this morning. But let me make one last statement. Christians are some of the most fear-based people I know around the world. And it is utterly unbecoming for one who follows the King of Kings to be ruled by fear rather than his kingship. Because Jesus is never nervous. Hear me for a second. He has not had a nervous day in the last 2,000 years, and today is not his day, and you are not his person to be nervous about. Whatever is happening in your life right now, I'm just going to tell you, Jesus isn't sitting on his throne in heaven, wringing his hands, going, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was going to happen to Peter. Now what am I going to do? He's just not there. He wasn't nervous when 9-11 hit the world. He wasn't nervous when the pandemic called COVID-19 hit the world. He hasn't been nervous in your life this last week, and he isn't going to be nervous in your life in a month from now. He's never nervous, so please hear me. If I'm in alignment with Jesus, I should have perfect peace because he has perfect peace. When I lose my peace, it's because I've stepped out of alignment. So the question that I want to wrestle with for the rest of the time this morning is, how do we overcome fear? Please hear me. You will be afraid. But how do you live not in fear, but in faith? How do you live your life in such a way that you overcome fear? That's what we want to address. And in order to do that, I want to look at 1 John chapter 5, chapter 4, sorry, verse 15 to 18. John, of course, one of the apostles, writes this in his uh, first epistle. He says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they live in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So how do we overcome fear? Let me give you three thoughts. You ready? Number one, in order to overcome fear, you have to become aware that you are afraid. Listen, if you are right now living in denial about fear, if you are excusing, blaming, justifying, rationalizing, and denying your fear, if you make excuses for your fear, then you're already defeated by your fear. You cannot overcome that which you will not admit. So the very first place is always self-awareness. Hear this line for a second. Self-awareness is the gateway to transformation. It doesn't guarantee it, but you can't get there without it. This is where you have to start. So you see, this is actually where I struggled to start. 
the type of personality I have, I don't actually feel fear. Now, please hear what I just said. I did not say I am not afraid. I said I do not feel fear. When I am afraid, because of the adrenaline boost you get, when you're afraid, you get adrenaline, and that adrenaline boost gives me actually a feeling of power. Like, I don't feel the fear, I feel power. I usually feel anger with it, like irritability, aggravation, and just this inner sense of power comes, right? And that's what it feels like to me. It feels like everything speeds up, and I have this sense of power that comes. That's the adrenaline. But actually, I had to figure out that all of that taking place inside of me was really indicative of fear, even though I didn't feel fear. And that actually was really important for me to gain freedom. I also started to have to monitor my self-talk. Listen, you have to pay, pay really close attention to that which is running through your mind. Please hear this line, okay? That which runs through your head unfiltered reveals what is in your heart undealt with. The reason why you have these phrases running through your head all the time, the reason why you obsess about certain things over and over is because there's fear in your heart. Fear makes you obsessed. And so whatever it is you're preoccupied with is indicative of the fear that is unprocessed in your inner being. Are you tracking with me? This is super important. Pay attention to what you're obsessing over. Let me give you an example in my own life, right? So, you know, when you're a pastor, sometimes you get criticized. Now, pause for a second. I know Metro Church doesn't do that to Pastor Peter. But in other places in the world, pastors actually get criticized, okay? And I was in New England. I started ministry. I'm a young guy. When I started, I was 25 years old when I started my first time ministry assignment. And, you know, when criticism would come, I would find myself obsessing about that criticism, Okay, and I would, you know, my mind would be buzzing around it. I would have imaginary conversations with the person in my mind. I'd think about what they said and what I would say back to them and then what they would respond and how I would respond to that and how they would talk and how I'd respond. And, you know, in, in my mind, I'd get wrapped around this stuff and it would carry me in, you know, sometimes for days, I would find myself obsessed with this stuff. And, you know, I finally got to the place where I realized this is fear. I'm fearful of what other people think, and I'm fearful of the criticism. I'm fearful of the hit my reputation is taking. There's fear that's generating all this stuff. I had this phrase that I noticed appeared in my head a lot when I was criticized. This was the phrase that I would hear myself say, I don't care what people think. Now hear me for a second. I never said that out loud. I was too smart to do that. <laughs> However, I thought it. And I started to realize that's not true. I care very deeply what people think. I want people to like me. Life's better if people like you. But I realized that even if people don't like me, I'm actually gonna be okay because Jesus likes me and that's actually enough for me. But you know what? That used to be a phrase that I said but didn't live. I lived in fear. The reason why I know I was living in fear is because I obsessed about what people said. And I realized I needed to break free from fear in my life. But in order to do that, you have to start with self-awareness. You have to admit that it's a problem. This is where it begins. When I left South Shore Community Church, I was a pastor there, planted the church, was there for 22 years. And when I left, 
I left a position that was very secure, paid really well, and I moved into New York area. We live just by the Tappan Zee Bridge, and the area was way more expensive. It was about $20,000 a year more to live where we were now, and, uh, and my salary got cut in half. I was 50 years old. I had three kids in college. My wife was also finishing school. We didn't have enough money put in retirement. This was an insane financial decision, and I was affected by fear. My wife came to me one day in February 2017, and we moved in June, by the way, or left that position there in June anyways, moved in August. But my wife comes to me one day and she says to me, are you angry with me? I said, no, have I been unkind to you? She said, no. I said, then why do you ask? She goes, you're just kind of radiating anger. Are you aware of that? I said, oh yeah, I'm keenly aware. She goes, why? And I said, it's, it's several issues, but one of the things is I'm actually afraid for the first time in my life about finances. We planted a church, but I was 30 years old. We planted a church. We had our first baby, bought our first house and planted a church all within one month. I don't recommend that. <laughs> and I had no fear, okay? None that I felt. But all of a sudden now I'm 50 years old and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I, I'm not set up for life and how are we gonna do this? So I went to the Lord with my fear, realizing this is fear, that's why I'm angry. Again, I don't feel the emotion of fear. I usually feel these other symptomatic expressions like anger. And I said to the Lord, I said, I need two things from you. Number one, I need to know that you want me to take this job. And number two, and I, so I took this job as a seminary professor and was doing itinerant ministry like this kind of stuff around the world. And I said, number two, I need you to promise me that you're gonna provide for us. And I heard the Lord and this is what he said. He said, take the job, you'll make more money than you've ever made before. I said to him, does that come with a check in the mail? I mean, just checking, right? No check. See, sooner or later, when you admit your fear, you have to choose faith. You will never overcome fear without surrendering it and saying yes to God. You can either act on fear or you can act on faith. You can't act on both at the same time. You can act on faith while you still feel afraid, but you have to choose which road you're going to choose. And for me that day, I surrendered fear and chose faith. That has been a pattern in my life that has helped me to overcome fear. So this is where it starts. Number one, you gotta be self-aware. What are you afraid of? What are your root fears? When you are afraid, how do you think? What does your mind get obsessed about? What do you get wrapped up about? By the way, some of you get very controlling when you're afraid. And I'm gonna help you. If anyone's ever told you you're controlling, that's because you are. <laughs> Denial will not set you free. But living in the light is the first key to breaking free. But you've gotta admit it, okay? Number two, if you're gonna overcome your fear, not only do you need to be self-aware, but secondly, we've gotta sink deep roots in our eternal citizenship. We need to take our identity in Christ a lot more serious than we do as Christians. This one really matters. This is a huge theme in the New Testament. So for example, in the letter that Paul writes to the Ephesians, over 30 times in that letter, he uses this phrase, you are in Christ or Christ is 
in you or you are in him and he is in you. But he keeps going back to this phrase, you are in Christ, Christ is in you, you are in Christ, Christ is in you. And notice John does the exact same thing in this passage. This is just your identity in Christ. Look at verse 15 again. He says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. See, this is the key to overcoming fear. Why? Because Jesus isn't afraid. Hear me for a second. Once again, if I'm in right alignment in Christ, I have Jesus' peace imparted to my soul. The only time I lose it is when my identity shifts from in Christ to in something else. Most of the times what happens is my identity shifts from my eternal citizenship to my temporal citizenships. And when I have my identity rooted in temporal things like my reputation, when my reputation is attacked, I feel insecure and anxious and defensive. Why? Because I'm rooted in temporary circumstances that cannot be overcome. But when I'm rooted in my eternal citizenship, I am unfazed by the temporal things. When you are phased by the temporal, it's because you're not rooted in the eternal. Are you tracking with me? I want you to think with me about Paul for a second. Philippians chapter one, the apostle Paul writes this crazy statement. Paul writes a lot of crazy stuff because of his eternal rootings. And he writes this statement. He says that the gospel, he was in prison, by the way, which is where Paul spends most of his time. Paul is in prison in Philippians, and he writes that, the, that there were certain people out there who opposed him, and they were preaching the gospel to get him in more trouble. They were hoping he would be executed. So they're literally preaching about Jesus so Paul will be killed. And this is what Paul writes. What do I care? Whether they preach the motives, preach the gospel out of false motives or true, as long as the gospel gets preached, I'm all right with that. Pause for a second. No one rooted in the temporal world would ever think those thoughts. Anyone rooted in the temporal would be like those jerks, those morons. Besides that, now look, my life is insecure. Oh my gosh, am I gonna get killed? See, that's temporal thinking. This isn't Paul's thinking. How do I know that he has this deep rooting? Well, first, because he writes about it all the time, but his next line shortly thereafter, Philippians 1 verse 21, this is what he writes. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Oh, pause. See, here's Paul's thinking. He's like, listen, if I live, it's all about Jesus and preaching the gospel anyway. So if they're helping that cause, hallelujah, amen, I'm in. Because that's what I live for. But if that ends up leading me to death, well, praise the Lord. I wake up in the arms of Jesus and all my problems are done away with. How do you stop this man? He is an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. Why? Because he is deeply rooted in his eternal citizenship. You can't mess with someone who is rooted in eternity, but anybody rooted in the temporal is easily swayed. That's Paul. We must get rooted in the eternal citizenship. This is super key to freedom. 
Listen, one of the things that happened during COVID is it betrayed us as American Christians. What it showed to us is we are deeply rooted in our temporal identities. We went through COVID, I have to tell you, I mean, the church was so divided, it was so negative. We looked so much like the world and so little like Jesus. We walked through this thing and it was very clear to me that we are often more American than we are Christian. We are more, in some cases, Republican than we are eternal citizens of heaven. And in other cases, we are more Democrat than we are eternal citizens of heaven. Please hear me. We are often more white, black, Asian, and Latino than we are eternal citizens of heaven. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, and he says to him, listen, when we're in Christ, there's no longer any Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Here, all of these are temporal citizenships. The only thing that matters anymore is you are in Christ and Christ is in you. This is your true identity. And when you get that, you feel deeply settled. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 12 says that this kingdom we are now a part of is an unshakable, unstoppable kingdom. See, the world will be done away with and collapse. Every kingdom in the universe, including the United States of America, will one day collapse. But the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ is uncollapsible. And when you're rooted in this citizenship, no matter what happens to the temporal, you are unswayed, unmoved, unaffected. This is the power of Paul's testimony. This is the power of your eternal citizenship. Please hear me, when you go through COVID and you find yourself anxious, it is revealing your temporal citizenship has taken precedence over your eternal citizenship. Are you tracking with me? During COVID, I felt unmoored a little bit. There's been few times in my life where I felt deeply unsettled and COVID was one of those few times. And I could feel this just deeply unsettled feeling like the world was falling apart, like the foundations were crumbling around us as I watched what was happening through all the race issues and obviously with the pandemic and all the financial crisis, which I don't think we've hit the bottom of by any means yet, by the way. You can't shut down the world without having big financial crisis. I think it's gonna get worse. And I say that not to scare you, but I wanna tell you, you won't be scared if you're here, if you're rooted in your eternal citizenship. But as long as you're rooted in your financial security from what you do and what you make and what you have, you will be scared as the world trembles around us. And that's what I was feeling. And I went to the Lord and I just processed with the Lord. And I said, this is what it feels like. It feels like we were all tied into a nice safe harbor on a dock in a boat and we were moored securely to the dock. And someone came by and cut us loose. And now we're like out there in the treacherous waters and there's you know, all kinds of storms that are in fury and rocks and it's perilous. And I heard the Lord, and this is what he said to me. He said, what if I was the one who unmoored you because you were moored to the wrong dock? And he wasn't just talking about me. He was talking about the, the Christian state right now in the world. And he said, you were, you were as a, a church in this season, you've been too moored to your temporal identities. I have to unmoor you so that you can get rooted in your eternal citizenship. See, that's what the apostles understood that we're missing. Comfort-based societies always get moored to the temporal. 
and it's a fight to shift it. Your fear is a gateway to getting moored to the eternal. Take advantage of it. It reveals your temporal moorings. Number three, if we're going to overcome fear, you know, yeah, we're going to have to first identify it. Second, we're going to have to go after our, te- our eternal citizenship and really uproot some of those temporal citizenships. And thirdly, we're going to have to learn how to actually rely on the love of God, not just know about it. Notice John's words. He says, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. But the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let me just say two things from this section. You ready? Number one, if you're afraid, it is always because love has not been perfected in you. So that's what he says. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. He says the only reason you're afraid is because love hasn't been perfected in you yet. People who know they're deeply loved because they're secure in their eternal identity just don't feel fear. The fact that we feel fear tells us love hasn't been perfected. Perfect love drives out fear. When I feel afraid, it's because I'm not perfected in Christ's love. Second thing, he, he distinguishes between knowing about God's love and relying on God's love. Well, that's really important. We're a Western-based uh, context here in the U.S., and in the Western-based Christianity, it's a very knowledge-based discipleship model. It's this right here. This is knowledge-based discipleship, what we're doing right now. I stand on a lecture. I give you good teaching. You listen. You might take some notes if you're wise because you're going to need this someday. And then you go home and you live your life somewhat disconnected from this teaching. Okay? That's knowledge-based discipleship. But here's the problem. You ready with the Western church? You think you're okay because you know it. And so I come to you and I say to you, you know, God loves you. And you go, I I know that. And you do, you know, you could quote the verses. But here's, see, that's not the key question. You know what the key question is? Here it is. You ready? Listen, please hear me. Are you living in all your human actions like a deeply loved person? See, it's not do you know God loves you. Are you living like a loved person? If you're living in a way that you're insecure, you're living in a way that you're defensive, you're living in a way that you are fearful That is because love has not been perfected in you. So you know God loves you, but you're not relying on the love of God. Jesus was not a Western teacher. Jesus was not a knowledge-based discipleship teacher. Jesus was a obedience-based discipleship master. What Jesus wanted to know was not, do you know I love you, but are you living like a deeply loved person? Have you so integrated my love and relied on my love in your life so deeply that you're now living in all of life's circumstances and all of your human interactions as a deeply loved person? See, if you hit that, now you've learned how to rely on the love of God. That's a world of difference from the Western church. I want to use Jesus as an example for this because Jesus learned how to rely on the love of his father and he lived it out and he's a really superb example for us. He's not just our savior and Lord, but he's our supreme example. And so I want to use Jesus as an example and I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 because Peter lays this out for us how Jesus lived this way. And this particular passage that I want to look at 
The context is a church that is being persecuted, is a church in suffering. That's what it is. And essentially what he's just said to them before I read this passage, he says to them, listen, if you suffer because you're living ignobly, you're doing evil things and you suffer as a result of evil doing, there's no credit for that. But if you're doing righteous living, you're living good, you're living like Jesus, you're living a godly life and you get persecuted for it, you see, that's real nobility. There's a reward in that. And that's the context. And to then, he then says this. He says, to this you were called to live godly and be persecuted because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then hear this. He never did anything wrong. That's not why he suffered, right? He says he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He was perfect in every single way, tempted in every way we are, yet without sin. Yet he still suffered. Notice the next line. When they hurled their insults at him, notice his response. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, this is what he did. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I want you to pick up two things in this passage. First thing I want you to notice is this. When Jesus is falsely accused, attacked, persecuted, he never defends himself. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't defend himself. He makes no threats. Why? Because only insecure people are defensive. You see, when you're rooted in the temporal identities, you will have to defend it because it feels shaky. And Jesus is not rooted in that stuff. He's rooted in his eternal citizenship and he's rooted in the love of his father, which is eternal, unchanging, and true. So Jesus, when he's attacked, stands before his accusers silent, which was amazing to them, by the way. They couldn't believe he didn't retaliate, didn't defend himself. He just stood there silent. He didn't need to defend himself because he was so secure in his father's love. When you're defensive, you're insecure. It is, again, exposing your temporal identity and your fears. The second thing I want you to notice in this passage is how he lived this way. That last verse Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. The word entrusted there is the exact same word that's used in the Gospels for when Judas handed himself, when he handed Jesus over. That's the word. He handed Jesus over to the religious leaders in the betrayal. It's the same word. Hear me. This is what happens. When Judas hands Jesus over to the religious leaders with a false statement about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Jesus, in return, doesn't defend himself because he's deeply secured in his father's love. He, in turn, hands himself over to the father's eternal, true, and just opinion of him. So he doesn't have to gain any value or significance or security out of what people think because his father's opinion is true, eternal, just, and final. That is so securing to Jesus, he doesn't need to retaliate. This is how you rely on the father's love. You've got to learn in every situation that you are threatened, it is exposing your temporal identity and your fear You've got to learn to use that as an opportunity to entrust yourself to your father's eternally right, true, and just opinion of you and be moored to your eternal citizenship. Let me give you an example in my own life. You know, I said, you know, when I started ministry, I didn't know people were as mean as they were. 
And, you know, I started ministry, and people are mean. And, uh, you know, people say super stupid and really cruel things. No, again, none of you, but other churches. And I had to figure out how to deal with this stuff. And in the beginning, again, I was so rooted in my temporal identity, like this is my profession and I'm, I want people to like me and, and I would feel anxious and my mind would race and I would have these imaginary conversations in my mind and I would feel unsettled and anxious for days on end. And finally, you know, I figured out that this was fear. And then I would entrust myself. I was learning how to rely on the Father's love and I would entrust myself to my Father's true and eternal opinion. And I was settling in, right? And it was getting a little better. Last year, at one point, I had five people write against me in public spaces. You know, being a public author, right? One of the people had a following of almost, I don't know, 300,000 followers or something like that, and they slammed me. The worst part was I don't even think they read my book because the stuff they said about me wasn't true. And if, I, you know, if you read the book, you wouldn't have read that stuff. And I'm like, this person, like, you know, I don't even know where they're getting this stuff from. But when someone has 300,000 followers and they write against you, I'm just going to say that's a little unsettling. And I had five in one week. By the way, if you've never been dragged through public humiliation, you should try it. It's really good for your soul. <laughs> and um, I could feel all that unsettled stuff. You know, my mind is racing. I feel anxious. And it took me one hour to sit with Jesus, rely on my father's true eternal opinion, settle it out. And I mean, for the rest of the week and ever since, I've been perfectly at peace. It took me one hour. For years of my life, it took me a whole week to settle this out. Now hear me for a second, let me say three final things. One, what that tells me is I'm making progress. Two, it also tells me I'm not done yet. Fear still impacts me, and I still have to learn how to rely on the Father's love day by day. You're never going to get better until you get to heaven. Fear is going to affect you, but what you have to do is learn how to depend upon the Father's love day by day, just like Jesus did. The third thing I want to say to you is, therefore, for you, the question that you need to really wrestle with is, are you truly depending on the Father's love? Are you living like a deeply loved person? Or are you finding yourself these days too deeply moored to your temporal identities and there's angst and there's worry and there's fear and your mind is wrapped around and obsessed around things that are rooted in the temporal and not in the eternal? And if this is true of you, you got to go after it. I'm just going to tell you, I didn't get to where I was during those last 20 years without some significant, intentional, deep work of the soul. You gotta go after it. Because if you don't, please hear me, just like the Israelites, you will be robbed of your prophetic destiny. Don't let fear rob you of your inheritance. Let's pray together. Lord, the reality is we're all fearful people. It's just true of us. We are no exception to that. 
That's why you say this so as many times as you say this constantly. Do not be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. Over and over and over you repeat this phrase because we are a fearful people. The reality is we're temporal people in a temporal world and we keep getting rooted in the temporal environment we live in and that is an insecure environment. That's why you have adopted us into your eternal unshakable kingdom as part of your family and you've deeply loved us. I pray for each of us in this room that first we would admit the places where fear has ruled our lives or is currently ruling our lives. Help us not to spin it, deny it, justify it, rationalize it. None of that stuff ever leads to freedom. So just show us, shine light into the suitcase of our soul and let us stand there and say, yes, Lord, that's true about me. Second, Lord, I pray then we do the real deep work of the soul. We gotta go after it. It isn't gonna passively go away in our life. It's actually just gonna intentionally rob us of our eternal destiny, of our inheritance. We don't wanna be people that get shortchanged like the children of Israel and like so many others in scripture. So help us not to let fear rob us and that we might be those who can help others find freedom once we found it ourselves. I pray it in Christ's name, amen.